uh, Red River podcast number 131. I, I don't know. I don't remember after a while podcast numbers don't really fucking matter. But We're so proficient <laughs> at this point. It just yeah. can't keep track. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll just say the numbers in reverse, which is also one thirty one, right? So that's the same thing. Um, Hit us up in the comments for what episode this is. If you yeah, <laughs> if you knew, let us know. <laughs> um, yo, Austin, thank you for coming back. Hey, and, th- thanks for having me back and talking some, um, you know, some some death wish with us. Uh, but I I want to get to to the book. So last time we talked, you had the Canon Film Guide, which is what you do basically. You do. You do the Lord's work basically for all of us, for sure. You know, you, you basically compress our childhood into these books. Uh, the first uh, issue was uh, 1980 to 84. And now this is probably our favorite era, era which is like 85 to 87. Um, so, yeah, just I don't know. Talk about the book for a minute. Yeah, this is uh, 85 to 87 was Canon's, I guess, really the golden era under Golden and Globus. Yeah. That's when all of the biggest best known movies really of theirs came out it was a time when they were really their most most ambitious both on what they were spending on 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 their movies and how many movies they were making uh the 1986 uh can film festival slate that they announced was pretty famous because it was a 60 page spread which had they achieved that had they actually made movies for all of those advertisements in there that would have been more than one canon movie in theaters many weekends which it's just crazy. It's a time when Canon was, yes, extremely ambitious, ambitious, but also had money and some star power to actually back up some of the things they wanted to, the 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 things they wanted to do. But yeah, this is a time that's that's how this is the time we got all their their Toby Hooper trilogy that they did. This is the time we get Over the Top. This is the Superman Four, Masters Universe, American Ninja, a lot of movies that. I love, I know a lot of other people love, and really, I, I, I do think many of these are one, when you, when you people think of Canon, when they think of Canon in the eighties, they're looking at this very set three year span when yeah, most yeah, of these films came out. You're right, actually. Um, and, and, and I think what it is too, because like, I, I try to remember exactly what it's like and, and because you could, you could make an argument that they're really not like great movies. But like we remember them in, in such a way that like maybe they just, you know, when we had Sam Furstenberg on, like I told him that they feel like real movies, even watching these Death Wish movies for this episode, like um, shit, even watching Predator yesterday, I was turning to my girlfriend and, and thinking like, I don't know, it's so great to see these movies where like the sets were real, like everything about it seemed absolutely fucking real. And I think that's like the attachment that we put onto these movies where like, there's no, like, like everything is prosthetic. Everything is just basically right in front of you. And it it just makes you appreciate it more now that like a lot of these movies, a lot of these action movies now look like video games and they're so maybe if, if you grow up loving stuff like that, it's, you know, you, you're attached to it, but like, for like someone like me personally, I'm sure like Langan too. Um, mm-hmm. We just like it's just like watching like a fucking video game, you know. We're coming of age in the video, the VHS era, and the mom and pop video stores. I mean, the Canon films were always there, so we watched them so many times. I mean, so many times. Or if they mm-hmm. were on HBO or T or early cable and stuff, they play it like a shitload, you know. So yeah. 
yeah, these movies were inescapable in the in the late eighties. Uh, whether yeah, at your store where you couldn't you couldn't spin around without knocking several Canon videos off the off the shelves or on or on cable because Canon exploited the heck out of those uh, those cable rights. So many yeah. of these movies, weeks after they were in theaters they were on cable in a lot of the country a lot of these movies you could actually see on cable before the print actually made it to your local theater which is crazy but and ha- yeah. how how long does it like so uh how long did it take you from beginning to end to like compile everything and like i mean i would imagine it really consumes a big part of your life right yeah all of my free time <laughs> pretty much uh yeah it's it's hard to say for the first two books because I was kind of writing them in a round roundabout way. The initial, my initial idea was to do a just one book of my fifty favorite canon films, or the fifty ones with the craziest stories. I hadn't, I hadn't quite settled in. So some of the big chapters in the second volume I'd written six, five, six, almost seven years ago, like Delta Force and things like that, because those were ones that I had planned being on this when it was a single volume book and then we expanded from there. So it, it's the, the whole project has been about about seven years together uh, all together right now. And I'm, 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 I'm partially uh, partially into the third ones. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, um, I forget the, the, what, what, what was the idea for the third? Like what, what, what years? Yeah. 1988 till the end. And the end is really hard to <laughs> hard to define because Canon stopped shooting movie new movies in 93. They stopped putting movies into theaters in 94, but they were still digging up these old movies that they hadn't released yet and really putting them out onto video to kind of pay off some debts all the way into 1996, which is which is crazy to think. So even though Canon was dead as a production company in 93, 96 was when the last the last canon film quote unquote hit hit video store shelves um so like in for for someone like menahem like the one thing that i get from reading a lot about him is that even if like his ability to make something you know like amazing i guess uh, or like you know something like you know that most you know like he's not winning an oscar basically um but he's still like loved movies so much that it it just came off so genuine right Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely you can you can get hit any interview that i've read with him any footage you ever see of him anytime where he's just giving one or two quotes about a movie in in an article somewhere you can sense that he he loves what he did he loved what he did um he loves all sorts of movies and that that passion does come out like 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 you said it It'll come out in a movie like Runaway Train, which is going to get award nominations, but it'll come out just as much in, uh, you know, Missing in Action three, right. uh, <laughs> equal in equal amounts, which is which is great. Look how look how hard and personal they took the the apple when that uh, crashed out. The guy was going to kill himself, right? When he was going to jump off a yeah, balcony, right. supposedly. Yeah, so, Yoram Yoram had to talk him down. Definitely and, cared. That is I would true. love to see with the 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 whole interest in Canada too. I would love to see a uh, biopic made with like John C. Riley and Will Ferrell playing them. <laughs> oh, that would be great. 
it's there's got to be a story that. there hollywood if you're listening yeah if you're and listening i got a two-part question for you before we get into death wish uh because me and sam just uh we talked about hard rock zombies which we yeah. both didn't realize was a canon film so mm-hmm. i'd love to get yeah. your thoughts on that and is there a film that you can't that's out of print that that eludes you that a canon film that's like you're trying to be a completist and you can't get a hold of Ooh, well hard rock zombies was a yeah it was a canon pickup so golden globus weren't personally involved in that one uh, but okay. they did uh i mean people always ask how many canon movies there are and that's a question that is hard <laughs> hard to answer because you you really have to draw a line somewhere but when you gosh so if you if by my estimate if i were to add up all the different things they had acquired at some point and things movies that were released somewhere in the world in some format with a canon logo on them i'm thinking it's somewhere around 1100 wow which is crazy <laughs> i have their 1983 three sales catalog and this is before they bought thorny mi this is before <laughs> they started spending money on hard rock zombies and hell squad and things like that and there are 700 movies in there so <laughs> wow. over the next 10 years I, they easily probably had another 300 to 400 more just with thorny mi alone that purchase but yeah it's on that to sort of get into your second question there that there are many in there that i look look through these catalogs and there's descriptions and lists. There's a little poster art and lists of directors and actors and things like that. And I can't believe some of these movies are real. (laughs) You look on IMDb and they don't even have enough ratings to actually have a rating on there. And so if I tried to seek out some of, especially the, the Hebrew movies that they did, it would be, I, I don't know. There, there are ones that I've looked for that. I just I've just given up because there there doesn't even seem to be a like you if you go you can't even find clips on YouTube or Google them or anything like that and it's warrants or anything yeah it's yeah. it's really kind of tricky to find some of those there if anybody some... in Israel is listening <laughs> yeah. my man up yeah please I'll I'll, I'll, sit, I'll I'll send a wish list I'll post a <laughs> wish list up because there are yeah. definitely things that they, so yeah in that way there there are ones that I I worry I'll never see for. For the in terms of the books, the Golden Globus productions, there were definitely some that are really, really tough to find. Um, one that's covered in the second volume is Kamora, and it's interesting because it's a it's a pretty wild gangster movie with some like giallo elements in it. There's even like a black gloved killer, and it's got Harvey Keitel playing a drug dealer in it in 1986. Um, Sold. Yeah, that's there's it, like right? there's, yeah. there's like a random du- there's like a random like nude ballet number in the middle. It's just like a weird weird and directed by Lena Wertmaler, who, uh, of course, like a great uh, director, the first uh, woman director to be nominated for uh, best director. And she wrote, you know, a lot of like she wrote Vi- Bronson's Violent City and a lot of spaghetti westerns. And so it's just a great film. And it seems like an obvious one that someone like uh, vinegar syndrome or one of these labels would pick up because yeah. it's, it's crazy. But when yep. I, when I, when I went to get it, when I went to watch it, it, it was never released in the U S it played, I think two weekends in one in like Washington and one somewhere else at a festival in the U S and never got a video release here. And there are DVDs, but they're like a bad that you can get from Europe, but they're 
incorrect incorrect language and the one i finally when i finally watched i watched it from a bootleg vhs rip with burned in greek subtitles the barbershop <laughs> you he got it at the barbershop for sure right <laughs> yeah so that that was and it yeah i had to put my credit card number into a weird uh yeah high-end <laughs> website and i was kind of scared whether the dvd would show up and sure enough yeah cdr oh, the dvdr shows up in a like unmarked envelope from from Europe all these all these months later and so that's a movie that I write about in there and I'm hoping that people get more of a chance to see soon hopefully somebody because yeah there are there are things that are now kind of getting these blu-ray releases that I never yeah, expected I think five six years ago like you said vinegar syndrome uh vinegar yeah that's it um they've been doing a lot of horror stuff so because like I have the shutter app and these movies are ending up streaming mm-hmm. on shutter and I think that's what happened with like uh, something like Hard Rock Zombies or Rocktober mm-hmm, Blood. Sure. Like all these movies are just getting, you know, like some light from 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 these uh, companies. And shout out to Tubi too. Tubi, yeah, oh, yeah. Don't fuck around with that shit either. No, yeah. Got so tons they, of canon. But I but I think yeah. like specifically Vinegar um, does a lot of cool stuff, and they they put it up on Shutter for movies that like I have lo- like Slaughterhouse Rock was one of those movies that I could only find mm-hmm. shitty copies of. <laughs> Right. But like they, you know, they cleaned it up. So they're doing they're doing they're doing the work. If Criterion Channel has their own streaming service, Mm -hmm. it's time we have the Canon streaming service. I will (laughs) gladly plunk down 10 bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I'm I'm sure with as many as Tubi has already that if they open up a subscription model or something, I'm sure they could pull that off. Did 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 those guys have children? Do they own like a lot of this stuff? Like, where did this all fall? when it went down uh a lot of it's the grand majority of it is with mgm now mm-hmm. because they had canon sort of towards the um tail end of their 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 story with golden globes and part of the reason why uh monoc and gone eventually left is they got bought up basically by a gangster <laughs> with connections to the mafia and con man he he bought canon he bought mgm he bought basically all these big hollywood companies and installed his wives and mistresses as the top brass at these companies it's a wild it's a wild story which will be in the third volume which i'm excited to excited excited to tell the story but any anyways in this big messy uh criminal mess of criminal activities involving canon and mgm they both fell under the same umbrella and then when everything went to hell MGM kind of pulled out of that better. They were the more existing entity and they ended up with all of the 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 majority of canons, the stuff, yeah, all the ninja movies and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's like it's it's like completely synonymous. Like whenever I, I, I remember like the old box covers, mm-hmm. like I do, like it's just it's always had that the fucking <laughs> that logo. And like usually when I put something on late night the tv is kind of like low but when that that lion roars it's extra <laughs> louder and i'm like what the fuck i gotta like yeah. lower it for like two yeah. seconds but yeah um, warner but yeah. brothers has some there's uh when canon was failing when they almost fell apart in in 86 87 warner brothers kind of came in and bailed them out and they got the rights to a bunch of a bunch of like year of the upcoming. dragon why um they had like Superman four. Oh, that's right. There's there's actually a great um 
box set that has a bunch of canon movies on it and on dvds that you can you can buy and those tend to be all the warner brothers owned owned movies so warner brothers has probably about 20 or 30 canon titles i would estimate and i would guess the most the grand majority are at mgm now which i guess is now amazon so <laughs> if amazon wants to do the the yeah. uh, canon streaming channel on the on prime they could they could probably pull that off they probably actually own the rights to they got 30 bucks coming right here yeah 30 bucks <laughs> um all right so you know we wanted to talk about this franchise um you know the death wish franchise which is it's it's kind of amazing you know but i, I guess that's what happens with sequels once you have enough sequels by the fifth one uh, it just starts to be fucking ridiculous. <laughs> by the you know? by the fifth one, I yeah, no, no, by the second no, one. No, I I completely get and it. For when sure. you start the series with the actor being in his early fifties, yeah. and you get to part five, you're gonna have some problems. But yeah. so I'll I I remember the first time I watched Death Wish, I I rented it, and I just remember. So this was definitely in the eighties, where I was used to ultra violence by then. Like I was used to just super violent movies. And I remember renting Death Wish and thinking, okay, this is going to be crazy. It's called Death Wish. Everyone talks about it and you watch it. And it wasn't really like that over the top violent. uh, Except that rape scene, bro. Yeah, no, the the rape scene stayed with me for sure. I'm surprised. Scarring. I'm surprised. I'm surprised Jeff Goldblum still has work after that. (laughs) But like, um, so, like, I just remember watching it, and, and I, as a young kid, I just, I didn't, like, it was cool. I just didn't care for it. I didn't even understand, like, the end where he says, draw. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I don't really understand. And, like, how did this guy not kill all the bad guys? Because I was in Schwarzenegger mode. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone needed to pay by the end, mm-hmm. and, and it didn't make sense to me. Uh, as I got older, I appreciated it more. So, I, I mean, uh, so I'll ask uh, Austin, like, do you remember the first time you watched the first movie? Gosh, it would have been after one of the sequels. Yeah. If I if I think back, I probably Death Wish 3 was probably the first one I I saw. Um, so then this was, was a letdown. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting, though, because it does you, you, you really kind of draw a good um good comparison looking at this movie as through sort of the the eyes like 80s action if you were used to 80s action yeah and looking back at death wish which was uh 74 and it was a very different time but i think by the time new york yeah yeah by the time they got canon canon got hold of the company uh of the franchise and Probably what you were hoping for was more of a Death Wish three when you were an eighties action fan. I think yeah. Death Wish three really kind of re- reflects that Schwarzenegger Stallone style of it, the, the just the high death counts. You you go from you know I think it's he does I mean it's like what four four or six guys or something in the first one that he he kills tops. It's it's low yeah, yeah. and it's, then yeah it's like tops and like the thing is it's funny too because like you know vigilanteism. Like now when you like put on the news, like, you know, like media outlets or, or back then, you know, you needed to avoid channel two, four and seven. You'd be all right. You could live <laughs> yeah. in a bubble. Now it's like you're trying to text someone and you get notified that, you know, like 18 people got murdered on a subway somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, that's a bummer. This was like uh, revenge porn for like suburban 
white dads. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're like, I want to be that guy. You know? I want to get those um, creeps. Um, <laughs> but uh, and, and it was taken from from a book. Uh, Brian Garfield wrote this book. Um, and, uh, I guess in the book, like, I don't know if anyone knows anything about the book, but I guess like he just kind of like showed him not as a hero and stuff, but like, uh, of course it's a movie. If you're going to make a movie out of it, you know, uh, you're going to glorify it a little bit, um, for sure. And, uh, yeah, like Bronson was 53 when he made yeah. it, which, which is interesting. And, and he was in movies forever. And I, I think this was like the first thing that kind of like popped off for him right like it was probably like the most famous thing and and uh director michael winner you got the guy who wrote the screenplay he wrote the same screen like he wrote a screenplay for poseidon adventure so it was kind of like a big deal but most importantly when it comes to making movies it's about making money mm-hmm. and uh on a three three i think it was like three or four million dollar budget they made 22 you know and sure. uh that's like kind of like the the beginning of everything, and, right? And this was Dino De Laurentiis on this, right? At mm-hmm. that point, and, let, and just before we turn over to Austin, to so speaking of Bronson, who became the face of the franchise, I mean, I would love to know the what I read about how many people turned this movie down. Like, if that's accurate, I've never seen anything like it. I read uh, Clint Eastwood, Frank Sinatra, yeah. Burt yeah. Lancaster, George C. Scott, Henry Fonda called the script repulsive. Um, Elvis Presley, I even heard at one point, but he mm-hmm. died uh, somewhere in that era. Uh, Lee Marvin. <laughs> I, I mean, it's crazy. Elvis Presley. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. And I even checked it in a couple of sources that there was, you know, I don't know how far along they got. It could be blurted out in a meeting. You know how these rumors go, but yeah. mm-hmm. I can see a few of these other guys doing that shit. For sure. I'm going to write this for Elvis Presley. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is this was a script that I think most actors read and found repulsive to be to be completely honest. But Bronson at that point was somebody who he was not a star domestically in, in the U.S. People would have known him from Westerns and things like that. Just playing the heavy usually. Yeah, yeah. And TV. He did a lot of like TV guest spots and shows and things like that. But um, so they would have known, I mean, Dirty Dozen and things like that as well. But he was not a big name leading actor. But you had things in Europe. He'd been kind of gone to Europe where he was an even bigger box office sell. And he did a lot of great like French action movies, Italian productions, Spanish productions. He'd spent just a lot of time overseas kind of making these low budget films it reminds me of uh when you see leo dicaprio's character and yeah and once, once upon, upon a time, a time out. yeah yeah it's, he's that's kind of the career that bronson was oh, having in that point and so when they went to make death wish three he was somebody who it was not one of the major hollywood stars that they had probably hoped for but they knew bronson they're like okay well, at least we're gonna be able to book this easily all over europe because he's a much bigger star there than he is here but this changed that the first death wish came out and it was a hit here as, as you said, as sort of this uh, suburban dad revenge fantasy film. It inspired many, many others that were in that vein to come out in the seventies, but yeah, it, it turned Bronson into a Hollywood star at the young age of 50, 53. <laughs> it's so interesting too. Cause I, and I love Charlie Bronson as we all do and stuff. Motherfucker mm-hmm. Charlie Bronson. I got to say it that way. Um, 
he he cut such a presence just physically because yeah. his no wonder he didn't become a big star because he is the most wooden like when he tries i think death wish one is the the only film i even see him try to emote when he's got that roll of quarters and freaking out like you know in the apartment but he's got some his expressions is just so interesting like uh, sometimes i wonder yeah, what he's he thinking was, about he, he was he was definitely like one of those like hollywood men's like man's man so like we all appreciated for that level but like the first two movies definitely are, are, are connected. Like they feel like kind of like mm-hmm. that same vibe. Sure. I mean, aside from that ridiculous ending of the second one, but like it's the it, movie in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's the first it's, one. But let's move it. But like so the the one scenes that, that always got me was, you know, they almost wanted to make like this real movie because the first mugger that he kills, like he goes home, he pukes, he's kind of like. Like there's just such apprehension about it where it's just like the way you would, I imagine if you're looking to do something like that, you would be like, yo, this is kind of fucked up, you know? And uh, I, 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 that part always got me. And it's funny, like, you know, from where you go from, from there to like where it went uh, and then you throw in Vincent Gardenia, right? So like, mm-hmm. so eight years later, they make a sequel, uh, right? Eight years later. Yeah. And, and was that a can that was a canon film, right? 82 when, it came out. Yeah, that was so <laughs> that story I love if you if you if yeah, you wanna let's hear do it. it. So yeah. So Golden Globus very successful in Israel as producers, independent producers of their own sort of films, kind of doing the canon stuff, but doing it on a much uh much smaller, m- much more foreign scale. They bought Canon, hoping that, that would be their foothold into the US market. So they bought the company in 79 and one of the first things they did was take out this giant ad spread announcing all their movies. And some of those are things that you have what would become life force in there at the time it was called space vampires and it was going to star uh, Klaus Kinski, which is one of the very first, which is just, I would, I love trying to imagine that, that version <laughs> of, of, of life force. But another one of the movies was a sequel to death wish which at that time was going to be directed by Menachem Golan himself. And this was 1979. Thing was, the people, anyone involved with the first Death Wish movie, that was the first they'd heard of it. Seeing these ads in, you know, Variety and Hollywood Reporter. Like, wait. So Dino De Laurentiis at that point, he thinks, like, nobody wanted a sequel to Death Wish. Like, that movie ends with, basically ends on a note that could finish it. Yeah. Plus, like, he's like, I know Charlie Bronson's not going to want to do it. He like he, he would never touch this again. Like this is he, he saw absolutely like zero value in, in the Death Wish like sequel rights. So he had his <laughs> lawyers call up Canon, though, and he's like, well, let's force him to buy it now that they've advertised it. Like, let's let's call him up and threaten to sue and let's let's they like make the purchase. Oh, that's great. So, that's that's so. gangster. That's gangster right there. <laughs> yeah. So Dino's Dino's lawyers called him up and I think they paid, you know, some six figures, but low six figures for the death wish sequel rights. Uh, because again, like Dino thought there was, they had no value at all. So Canon was sunk at that point. And so they went to Charles Bronson who, said no way there's who wants to watch this there's there's no reason for it so finally they kept upping and upping their offer until they offered him basically something that he he would have never gotten shooting a movie in spain or italy or something like that and he could shoot it in 
in LA without really leaving, <laughs> leaving yeah. his, his, his estate there. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. So they, it, it came together. So it was a movie that everyone was reluctant to make. And Charles, Charles Bronson was the one who was like told Menachem, like, you're not directing this. I won't do it. If you'll direct it, like bring Michael Winter back is because they were still friends at that point. And Death Wish 2 came together. And yeah, it was a, despite everyone except for probably Golden Globus <laughs> thinking that this was a huge, going to be a huge train wreck. It was a major commercial success for them. And, and it's really, really was like the same kind of like setup. Like he, <laughs> sure. he's like in LA now, which mm-hmm. is funny because they dropped him off. No, he took a, a bus to Chicago <laughs> after the first one. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll just keep going. And then uh, Jill Ireland, his, his real wife plays uh, Jerry. Um, I think she's like, what is she's she's like a writer right she's she's doing mm-hmm. like a like yeah. um uh the the, yeah. the criminal like so she's involved with something like that yeah and he had in the contract that that no uh savage scenes <laughs> yeah. to her you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. one of the amazing rare... too he's even wooden with her yeah. <laughs> and that's his real wife one of yeah. the rare cursy love interests to actually uh to, yeah, for, for, for to not get assaulted. The the only yeah. one. Every every yeah. single one through the whole like every friend. It doesn't matter how old they are. The rape how, scenes in this movie are even more horrific than the. I mean, this franchise leads the league in rapes. Clearly, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous, but yeah. uh, well, very original, disturbing with the daughter. The yeah. original cinematographer. You'll see two of them credited on Death Wish too, but he walked off the movie because there's the assault scene with the maid. Yeah. And he just said, he told Mike Winters, like, this go, you can't, like, this is awful. Like, I don't want to be part of this and left. And they had to find a new cinematographer to take over, like, just mid middle of shooting one day, like, going around to see who, who was available to finish the film. And Michael Winter was, it sounds like a real pleasure. <laughs> you hear from, like, a lot of actors that work with them. And just a brief thing on him. I heard down, he, it's, I read that he turned down French, what could have been French Connection, Jaws, some films like that, and doing deciding to do Death Wish one. But just a, a little story that I don't, I might have told before. But I, I went to a horror convention. Chris Sarandon was there, mm-hmm. and I asked him about The Sentinel, which is a fascinating film to me. And he just straight up said, "I refuse to answer any questions about that film. It was a nightmare, and that's all I'm going to say about it." And I was just like, "Okay." So <laughs> well, I, that guy. <laughs> I had uh, actually I interviewed an actress um, who had been working since the '50s, and she just about uh, um, Piper Laurie. So if you know from yeah, Carrie, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I was I was doing I, I I'm still working on it. Hope hope hopefully uh will be out maybe by the well <laughs> sometime this fall a magazine article about uh, Twin Peaks and this is part of that. But I had brought up um she had done an Agatha Christie adaptation for Canon that Michael Winter directed and I was just like hey you know what I know this isn't a movie that people probably ask you about in all the films in your career but what can you tell me about that and it was like shut down same as <laughs> same wow. as what you said it was yeah. just just not a pe- people do not uh they, they like to avoid the subject of michael winter i love <laughs> i love when you get to people like that so we had anthony hickox on who did the waxworks movies and uh he in 2005 he made a movie with steven seagal so it was like we were asking him about that and he was just like that movie made me want to quit being a director 
that's how hard it was to work with him. <laughs> like he's wow. like everything that would like the movie was he it, like that he approved. Like when they were filming, he's like, I don't want this anymore. And they were just like, what is going on? And also number two, John Carpenter, when they asked him like who the, the worst person to work with was, he said Chevy Chase. And I totally <laughs> forgot that they did uh, memoirs of an invisible man. Mm. Yeah. He, I was just wow. like, I, I did totally, too. I, yeah. Right. I totally yeah. forgot. <laughs> But uh, like you're telling me it for the first time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. So the first two really, really, you know, like Paul Kersey, just he's he's uh, it's pretty cohesive. You know, he's this architect. He's he's living his life uh, in New York. Some fucked up shit happens to him. He he like kind of, uh, you know, turns into this vigilante. Then he goes to L.A. Same thing. You know, his daughter, like, it's so funny. Like his daughter was just like. <laughs> I don't know. Just the death of his daughter was like so, like absolutely ridiculous. Oh my god, that whole scene was terrific. Like that whole fucking scene yeah. was just like outrageous. That like I'm thinking, like. Uh... <laughs> and the other outrageous thing about this film, uh, the Vincent Gardinia, the cop from New yes. York, <laughs> on his own, decides like trek out there. To, yeah, like that could mm-hmm. ever happen. Yeah, well, he, and he's like seventy or whatever, probably yeah. at this point. Yeah, at this point. Yeah. And, and shootouts and uh, like uh, I because I, I guess what it is, is like he let him go in New York. Right. He let him go. Mm-hmm. He was never convicted. So I guess he was over there to like keep tabs on him or like I'm going to say that that forget Jill Island. This is the real romance romance of <laughs> yeah. the series between yeah. Vincent Gardena or all head cops and Paul Kirsten. <laughs> well, they, they had they had. <laughs> They had the best. They had more emotion than yo. Know, any scene with him and his actual wife was so ridiculous because it was just like he was like blowing her off so hard. It was just like ridiculous. Man. I fucking <laughs> love it. And then like that ending, like he's basically fighting a guy at, at the end. Um, and shout out to uh, oh, what's the what's the guy from Halloween? Fucking Leo Rossi. No bracket. <laughs> <laughs> Leo Rossi. <laughs> but anyway, he's fighting this like gigantic dude at the end. And I'm just like laughing because like he's a so he's like in his mid 60s and this guy's just throwing <laughs> him around. Ridiculous. But I love it, you know. And the, so how, how does two end, right? The, uh, they let him go again. And he, so he like, makes the gun point to the camera, isn't two and no, that's that one. Shot. No, one that's ends one. with that shot. I'm one, sorry. I can't one remember the second one. Super, super iconic, right? So mm-hmm. then uh Canon decides to make another film. So three years later, and then we get to your book, they make uh Death Wish Three, which is arguably all of our favorites because it's just the most it's probably the most absurd. Like I think he kills mm-hmm. like pro- I don't know, like like third 83 people. I think I wrote that yeah. 83. I, I was going to say 300, something like that, but they must've canon as soon as two was the profits oh, yeah. came in, they must've been immediately on part three. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They had pretty much after death wish to kind of really hit a nice, uh, mutually, uh, mutually beneficial relationship between Bronson and Canon because Bronson, they would pay him these crazy amounts. He could work when he wanted, basically make a movie each year for them when and where he wanted for the most part. And it he seemed had, like like three quarters of the budget was his like salary <laughs> when, from what I'm reading. But. Yeah, yeah. For some of these movies, some of those movies, it definitely was a good chunk of it. 
and he got a lot of input into who was who was involved he got to pick directors and co-stars and you know his stepsons had had roles on it like behind the scenes on the movies so it was great for bronson and it was great for canon because these were surefire hits these these were movies that they could double their money on selling before they even started rolling cameras on it like by just by selling the international rights and the video rights that's um but yeah so that death wish 2 came they did 10 to midnight and then great death movie. Wish, like, i oh, like yeah. 10, to, 10 to midnight's like a really good underappreciated like slasher film like very mm-hmm. like mean-spirited uh great villain and uh, uh the director jay lee thompson is mm-hmm. that his name yeah, that guy's done a lot of cool shit, including Death Wish Four, which we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah, he made many movies with Bronson over the years. Yeah, some he made the worst one, I think, uh, Messenger <laughs> of Death for sure. He <laughs> did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, so you know, Bronson now finds himself back in New York, so he's like ping ponging, uh, and yeah. The first, like, the setup of, of Death Wish 3 is so fucking ridiculous. Like, I, <laughs> I love it, though. It's so good. You know, so, like, as a kid, I'm, like, you were watching this stuff, and you don't, you know, like, the way I looked at it when I was, like, I guess, seven, and now at 44, completely different. But um, he, like, goes to visit his Korean War buddies' yeah. apartment. That the seems- ride to New York, too, the only real shot of new york in the That's film it. with that funky jimmy page music over it yeah yeah, yeah. leftover leftover music from death wish 2 <laughs> yeah and uh so then he ends up in this like uh this neighborhood that's just rubble it's just rubble it's just <laughs> complete like everywhere like where, yeah. where, can you do you know like where they filmed it like why there was so much garbage everywhere well, so they, they there's a hybrid, and it's actually funny because they they do it pretty seamlessly. There there are scenes where Bronson runs around a corner, and they're filming in East New York, which is oh wow, in Brooklyn, like way yeah, yeah. kind of kind of out there. But a lot of the scenes where where he shoots the giggler, where it looks like a kind of this like wasteland, that was actually East New York at the time, and you can you can look at it on Google Maps now, and stuff hasn't changed that much, surprisingly. It, but, it was like Canon could have shot like a dystopian sci-fi movie on the same location yeah, right afterwards. Yeah, yeah but like Cyborg was, 3. The, <laughs> the shootout at the end and a lot of the scenes where you see, uh, especially like Bronson looking out in an apartment window and seeing stuff happening. This was all done at a hospital, basically at a, a out of service area of a hospital in London, um, which is amazing. They, they, it's recognizably not New York, but they did a pretty good job blending the two together because there are, there are definitely scenes where, yeah, you see like Bronson like running up to a corner and then the next scene he's like looking at somebody and that's something that was shot in New York wow. and then something that was shot in London. But I never would have noticed. Yeah, it's they do. Yeah. They do it really well. But yeah, so that a lot of the th- a lot of that was just because, you know, they couldn't actually like blow all that stuff up in in any part of new york city <laughs> i had always they, heard a rumor i'm sorry Go ahead. oh no that's just they they needed to they needed to build things build these sets somewhere and they did it in london just so they could burn them down and blow them up and <laughs> was chuck norris at one time attached to this was there any truth to that or was it always bronson with canon i think that i think that's how canon was playing uh kind of playing hardball with bronson okay. that <laughs> bronson, wa- bronson wanted even more money each death wish movie he got more money which is great for him and his, his agent yeah for sure 
I could uh, see Canon doing that like every film they make with this story. Yeah. Like we got Chuck Norris already. Uh, all right. Well, you, you know, you know what, Norris? We're just gonna put Bronson in missing in action four. So fuck yeah. off. <laughs> well, there was kind of a hierarchy because you could see like anytime Bronson didn't want to do anything, Canon could threaten to put Chuck in it. And anytime Chuck didn't want to do something, they could threaten to put Dudikoff in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, the it's, Canon starlets. Yeah, yeah, they just had a round. It was a, like a rock paper scissors. It's thing, like the right? studio system of the fifties and. 40s. Is it is it is it true Bronson made uh, Chuck Norris change his name to Chuck, so it wasn't Charles Norris? Mm, no. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I like to think that's true. Yeah. I did also read too. Speaking of Bronson on this film, Alex Winter, who's who's done yes. a lot of appearances yes. celebrating this film, and he's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, He's he told the story that Bronson had a guy drive him in a Jaguar from the dressing room to the set, which he said was like <laughs> was like three feet away. And he said it was more like watching a guy golf than act. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's a good summary of kind of this part of part of Bronson's career. He was definitely very comfortable in the movies he was doing and when he did them and <laughs> they, he, he got some nice treatment. Like Cannon wanted to keep him happy. I like. And they spent uh, a lot more on this film, about seven yeah. million more than part two, but raked in sixteen. Yeah, yeah, and most of that was probably on pyrotechnics. Yeah, <laughs> they really, and, and it goes back to what I originally said. Like you watch the stuff, and it's just like, like it really felt like. I, like it didn't feel like a, a set or anything. It was just like this, like complete nonsense. Shit being blown up, you know. Like it was cars. like World War Two, like literally, being, which makes sense because this guy apparently smuggled all these weapons back from Europe, <laughs> these Gatling guns yeah. and shit. <laughs> the ones that he doesn't just get through mail order, which is <laughs> what I love. Is basically, you know, the neighborhood is kind of shitty. But it doesn't matter because like it's like, okay, this old guy just smoked like 10 dudes the next day. They try him again. It's like, wait, no one. No, the word hasn't gotten out that he just killed 10 people yesterday and 18 today. That's great. And then the whole gang's MO, which is led by a guy with the reverse mohawk, which is (laughs) insane, is like hitting up like old people, like on a fixed income for like money (laughs) constantly. (laughs) Yeah, totally. How much could you make? Yeah. That, that's probably why they, they didn't have enough money to, uh, you know, get out of that neighborhood. They were just, you know, robbing the, the poor. And uh, I, I just love in this movie how uh, how bloodthirsty all those like elderly and like little kid elderly <laughs> people and little kids are, because every time someone gets like Bronson waste somebody. You get so many reaction shots of like people cheering in their windows. <laughs> no one's like, horrified. No, they just saw a murder <laughs> yeah. outside their own house. Yeah, I yeah. When they killed the giggler, I mean, listen, the giggler definitely had it coming. Never forget, <laughs> for yeah. sure. They shot the giggler. Uh, I mean, people were coming out of like the windows, like it was like a like a a, a music number. <laughs> like there was just, like, <laughs> you know? West Side Story. Start yeah, to for break sure. Out. You yeah. know, but that I think that's just. Like you watch it now and it's just so great. Like like when, when the kid co- like is hanging out in a bush that barely covers his like anything. <laughs> and he's yeah. just like, yeah, he's like kind of like <laughs> applauding Bronson and Bronson has to act like happy for like two seconds and he gives him like a smile. But everything we're mentioning about it is why it's so great to the point where like there's no time that someone would be at my house like you want to watch Death Thirst 3 that I could yeah. say no like it's mm-hmm. always going to be entertaining to me 
And um, and I got it sidetracked too. One of my favorite love interests in the entire franchise is this one with this girl, 30, <laughs> 30 years his junior that falls in love with him almost instantly yeah. and has to drive to that neighborhood to ask him out. They go out for dinner late night and she's sitting there, you know, with her window rolled down or whatever. When I used to go, when we used to go into New York city, my mom would lock all the doors and windows. Like when I was growing <laughs> up, she's just sitting there chilling. They roll her down the street, the yeah. car explodes and Bronson gives the most amazing non-feeling walk away to that like 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 he blew it up it's like a rambo movie he just turns around maybe a little mist in the eye mm. and just walks away not giving a fuck yeah you, you figure this guy literally anyone that he he touches or wants to hang out with <laughs> gets killed like it's just unbelievable like or like like we're <laughs> or both raped. Yeah. completely but like like the writers of, of it are like all right well you know he's you know this this is his love interest but she needs to die like immediately like <laughs> he needs to get punched and like exploded in a car and he turns around like all right <laughs> on to the next scene <laughs> it's right that's my car that's my favorite delivery well it's so that, not that scene in particular but you know what i mean no but that was that oh, yeah, was murphy's that, law so that was part of the book actually i read where um like the original book uh that that dude wrote um had the mm -hmm. giggler and it had that um you know that he he bought that car as like a plant which is cool i thought that's that's like a, a, a good one. and uh so but the end of this movie is just absolutely one of the most like the last 30 minutes is mm -hmm. just like and what I love about them, too, is like, so you have the cop that just like starts shooting people with them. And they, what, they all have these like little revolvers that are like so tiny. Like, <laughs> oh, that Spanish dude had the weakest shit. He had like, yeah. a, he had like an air gun, bro. Yeah. Was it? I thought it was like, a, I thought he a, he took a flute. Shooting and turned pellets. It into a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we know he has two of these Gatlin guns and he doesn't give his like best friend. The, yeah. <laughs> like one of them. He's like, oh, yeah, you take this little air gun. You, you'll be all right. I, yeah, <laughs> you know, take this you, blow dart over here. Uh, you're, yeah. you're not man enough to handle this. But uh, so, yeah, the end of this movie is just great. It's it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Um, And it's just I remember it from like, I remember the trailer. The trailer was just so cool because you see Bronson with that. Uh, is that what it's called? Gatling gun like the, that machine gun? I don't think. Yeah, technically, that's... it's kind of yeah. like a funnier sounding for the com comedic effect. Gatling sounds funny, but it, oh, I don't it, remember. It, but it definitely was a World War Two era yeah. weapon where the one guy held the bullet. Yeah. Right, and fed him the bullets. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, there was also like uh, I had no. But idea. also his Bronson's gun, the hand cannon, that was his real pistol, wasn't it? Awesome. Yeah. like his. Uh... Yeah, that was his personal uh, Wildey revolver. That's yeah, and those <laughs> you look at you, you look and you see those guns occasionally when when anyone has a photo of them not in like it. It's huge when Bronson holds it, but <laughs> for for some reason he's just somebody who looks. Like, like bigger than life you see yeah. photos of people if you google image search somebody anybody holds them it, it just looks like like a comically like gigantic <laughs> gun like handgun which is just yeah yeah that 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 was a real weapon the guy who actually owned the company that made it was is, is thanked as a consultant on the film <laughs> mm -hmm. and it was just bronson's personal gun and he liked it and they put it in the movie <laughs> all right so Three's over. 
amazing, uh, you know, like, like we said, probably the most entertaining out of all the five. Um, then he goes back to LA in death wish four, which is also, also covered in your book. Um, the crackdown. I didn't hate this movie. And plus I love John P. Ryan. I think John P. Ryan is like one of like canons, like go to, uh, mm-hmm. for avenging fours, uh, Delta force two. I thought he was pretty funny and, uh, <laughs> yeah, really cool stuff. So anything you could tell us about Delta, um, about death wish four. Well, yeah. So Death Wish 4 was, again, like Bronson was reluctant every time they they came to him to make another Death Wish. So to get Death Wish 4 to happen, they kind of had to they had to sign him to this bigger, you know, re-upped his contract for all these other movies. But sorry, was... I'm, I'm uh, reading this script called <laughs> Kinjite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he but he also at that point, he I think he had thought the violence was a little too extreme in Death Wish 3, which is funny because <laughs> yes. This is you, he brought a you, guy who brought his own gun to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you read interviews with him when he's promoting the movie and they're like, oh, so what do you think of Death Wish 3? Eh, I don't know. I think it's too violent. It's like stuff like that. He wasn't <laughs> he's the only guy that they could I'm I'm sure there's there's plenty of other people that do it, but just to be so unexcited about promoting Death Wish 3, even though the movie was <laughs> a, a, a number one film for like them and, and at the box office and and Bronson was not impressed, but yeah, he he thought it was too violent. So I mean, he did kill people for. I mean, there like there was. No, I can't think of a scene where somebody didn't get killed. I'm being yeah. typecast. <laughs> <laughs> he was done. He was also done with Michael Winner, so he had got them to swap oh, yeah. out Michael yeah, Winner yeah. for uh, Jay Lee Thompson, who another another close friend of Bronson's, someone he loved working with. And yeah, so Death Wish for came together and while it didn't wasn't a box office success they were able to sell the rights to it pre-sell the rights so much it's actually the uh the most one of the most like printed copies on vhs of any of the canon movies because video stores we're just ordering up death wish for like crazy i know the people listening at home aren't going to be able to see this but just because it's within hands hands reach you get i have a reel of some of like the you can't see it but no yeah it's, the it's giant great. six foot nice. uh, bronson standy and like wow. all the in-store displays you can you can have so this is a catalog for selling bron they would send it out to video stores and oh the video stores that's ordered- amazing ordered the hell out of this thing this this movie so it ended up being i believe their most profitable death wish death with wish movie even though it didn't wow it wasn't it wasn't the box office success the first the two and three were but yeah this movie is different it's still very very violent (laughs) um i love john p ryan in anything i'm a huge john p ryan fan i actually have a signed john p ryan poster hanging right on the wall right behind your guys is where I he's see great heads right now he's 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 great in, in in all those canon films yeah and he he's he plays this kind of i mean spoiler alert <laughs> guy who uh hires bronson to basically as this mysterious benefactor to finance his campaign against the drug trade in 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 california and 
he ends up being of course like another another drug dealer but most of the movie is like this very yojimbo like story of charles bronson playing these two competing drug drug uh drug gangs against each other and kind of infiltrating them and i i, I there's a lot of stuff i like about death wish for me it, too me too there's uh, it doesn't it's not as crazy as the the second half especially of death wish three but you get some fun stuff you get bronson actually having to be kind of smart and creative to like infiltrate or like sneak into places um you get some cold deaths you guys as, as a waiter yeah yeah yes. D- danny treo uh gets that, murdered in an amazing way but that's and that that's like one of the most like iconic shots ever just because of the like the 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 the, the dummies that they put in place it's so mm-hmm. good like it just even the explosion like <laughs> like effect i'm like wow they really cut it back on this one you know but it's just and, like and and there's some yeah really great i think uh interestingly filmed and edited scenes in this one out of out of all of them i think of the there's the where he's following the the guy at the basically that at the arcade the bumper cars yeah it's like a really mm-hmm. really cool looking segment and then there's a shootout in an arcade an 80s arcade which i i love any 80s movies that has footage in an actual arcade but it's a cool it's a very cool looking I, scene I thought it was like a, a just really um, interesting script compared to mm-hmm. three, which was just pure chaos where it's like mm-hmm. they <clears throat> they tried something, you know, mm-hmm. and then the twist obviously was that, you know, the, the the person that's making like like at first you're like, oh, OK, so he, in the beginning he loses like once again, he's dating a girl <laughs> and the, yeah. they're like, we got to kill the kid immediately. Yeah. <laughs> we know? meet the newest, you know. Fan, fan, a girl or usually mm-hmm. a kid that who's going to have their life ruined by meeting Charles Bronson shortly. He went back to being an architect, though. I guess he mm-hmm. went back to work and stuff. That's his and, true passion. <laughs> you know? Totally. <laughs> you know, and the, and uh, so I guess 80, 87, like drugs were a thing. So they're like, how how could we throw in? You know, it was either that or like uh, international terrorists. So those were the two things that they they go back to Russia, with. Russia. The Russian, Russian yeah. yeah. Shout out to the movie Ruskies. Very underappreciated. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah. So um, she gets killed, and then from there, like, what I like about it is like you see John P. Ryan playing that guy, and like, like we said, spoiler alert, he's basically blackmailing Bronson, and and and, but like by tugging on his heartstrings, and then feeds him the intel. So like all the intel narration and stuff like that, the action sequences. Are really cool like you're like oh, okay like he's kind of like you know it's funny like the death wish franchise makes me realize that that, that bronson is literally like michael myers you know he is just like <laughs> complete this is like this is like a slasher franchise it's just like we're like you know he's just killing yeah. what if what michael it, myers were the good guy yeah for sure good like guy. for sure like so like they're like now it's like yeah, yeah, basically, he's like uh, killing muggers in one and two. He's cleaning up a neighborhood in three. And now it's like, hey, come to L.A. and uh, take out some cartels by yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the, the 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 reveal later on. And uh, of course, you know, the new love interest catches like a spray of bullets to the back. And I love the end where like John P. Ryan is just like yelling at him. 
I told you, I told you not to do that. <laughs> and I'm thinking like this dude has like that, that, that just iconic machine gun or like a grenade launcher on the bottom, which was like the thing, mm-hmm. right? That was like, uh, I remember seeing it in uh, Scarface. Like that's where I first saw this mm-hmm. gun. And like, as a kid, you're like, oh my God, you're like, he's got the machine gun with the grenade launcher. And back in the eighties, we all remember it was all about killing the main bad guy in the most ridiculous way. Sure. You know, like like uh, invasion, US, invasion USA, you know, you're going to get the rocket launcher mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, John P. Ryan gets uh, blown to bits. And what I love about these movies, too, that we didn't mention is by the end, the rolling cr- the credits qu- can't roll quick enough. Like, you know, there's no like resolve. It's like usually like, OK, as soon as that guy is dead, like we're going to wait two seconds to roll the credits because we have nothing else to say. Like Bronson's <laughs> like, all right, let's wrap this shit the fuck up. I got to go. Yeah. Home. The killing of the main villain in like the 80s action movies equivalent to like a porn. That's like the money shot right there. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah. the money shot to be complete a set up with a showdown. A witty one-liner, and then you're going to get it. That's it. Hopefully something that's going to be like the franchise, the I'll be back of the, you know, you're always mm-hmm. looking for that thing. Although in this, if you got a shout out to the beginning of this film with the who the fuck are you? And he goes, death, that, that yeah. seemed <laughs> awesome. And, and, yeah. and the, so the beginning of this film too, like you kind of like go into his psyche and maybe like, you're like, oh, maybe this is like a remorseful Paul Kersey. But that, that was like done right away. He had that one bad dream. And then from there, he, <laughs> He's like, Fuck yeah. this. he like murdered like, uh, you know, 400 people, uh, which leads us to, to the last movie, which is fucking terrible. Completely yeah. like <laughs> where I think one and two have merit. You know, they're cohesive. Three and four. Are, I like they're pretty good. Like if you want like the flip side to one and two, I think three and four are really like of that I time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh so what eight seven was it seven years later 1994 uh can you tell us anything about this because he's I think 71 years old Bronson. now at this yeah, point yeah this and this is uh from Menachem Golan's uh, 21st century film corporation so when when the lucky golden, yeah golden globe is split up uh Golan got in the divorce he got the death wish uh, option as well as the Spider-Man and Captain America rights. So he ended up making Captain America with Albert Kuhn there yeah. early on at, at, at 21st century. In the divorce, you said? Yeah, between him and his cousin. <laughs> and when, when, gotcha. cannon split, when cannon split up. Uh, I'm thinking his wife for a second. Like, oh, oh, no, no, you no, get yeah, you no. get the house, but I get Death Wish Five. I think he was probably you take closer. the kids, but I get Superman. 4. You get you I get think- <laughs> you get Lombada. I'll take the other Lombada. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I think uh, Globus saw Menachem Golan a lot more than his wife during yeah the, those, those years. <laughs> the uh, so yeah, this was something too that Canon uh, or or Bronson had had stopped working for a while and i know i know i know people say don't like as soon as you retire you gotta have something to do because then you're you know you're gonna fall apart people your health goes away you know if you don't keep active a lot of i know a lot of people in my family i have a lot of uncles who are afraid to retire for that reason because they think they're just gonna physically deteriorate so they're working into their 70s and things like that even though they they're eligible to retire Mm -hmm. i think bronson was kind of maybe there's some some truth to that because he had he had made Kinjite for Canon, the last one he did there. And within the space of a year, his his stepson died and his wife died, uh, Jill Ireland. And 
So he stopped. He stopped working for a little while. And it's the first time in his entire career that he wasn't constantly working. So even though he's in his 60s throughout all those canon movies, he's still in shape. I mean, he's he's not doing flips or no, he is doing in great shape. Faces, but he's absolutely. But yes, he, he goes away and he, he comes back and he's making, you know, family of cops and TV movies and uh, the yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Santa Claus with Charles Bronson. But did he play Santa Claus? No, because I'm, <laughs> I'm on that shit right after we hang up. If that's true. Yeah. Who no, did he play? Unfortunately, <laughs> it was the uh, I believe the old shopkeeper, maybe the guy uh, in that one. But town cobbler. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I read that they paid him like five, six million for part five. Is that accurate? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. They he did not want to do it, especially when he was, uh, you know, yeah, in his 70s at this point. He sure. did not want to be doing that, that kind of movie. But they're like, we they, need to make this. Please take five million dollars. Here's the script. Yeah. <laughs> we have no <laughs> money left over for anything else. But if you just come back, you know, and do this. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll even say, that even though the film wasn't bad, it almost I thought Bronson looked like this was like the loosest he was like he was ha- enjoying it a little bit. Like, yeah, he's kind of taken back, like, all right, you know, this mm-hmm. is what I'm known for. I'm in my late stages. I'm getting paid a shitload of money. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He was. He. He seems. I, I, I'm looking for the right words, but like. He it, it, watching him in this movie, and you can tell by the the action that they put him. He's definitely like, I think he looks and feels his age. In the other yeah. movies, even though he's in his sixties, you know, he he's still moving around, he's still running around shooting guys. You're not, he's intimidating. In this one, you're like, okay, this is a seventy-one year old mm-hmm. Charles Bronson. Um, but yeah, I think he is a little laid back in it, which yeah. is it, well, which is nice. <laughs> so twenty years after the original, basically nineteen ninety four. Uh, he's back to New York, apparently in the witness protection program or some mm-hmm. random ass shit like that. Um, so, you know, in New York at this point, I guess like the mob is, is you know, like a prominent thing, you know, like the Gotti trial uh, probably just ended. So he has this girlfriend and uh, Olivia. And of course, this girlfriend is uh, her ex-boyfriend just happens to be a mobster, an Irish <laughs> mobster with a yeah. firm stranglehold on the fashion industry. <laughs> as as it happens a lot yeah (laughs) absolutely uh you know so this time they're like hey let's not kill this girl right away let's just disfigure her smash her face into a fucking uh mirror and no uh, rapes in this movie no rapes (laughs) the only one i think right i know the last one part four is the only one with no nudity and i think this one's the only one without a rape in it I believe <laughs> I, you know, it's possible. I, I have no idea. I know that. Yeah. Uh, we'll I know check that the she, stats. Of that yeah. <laughs> definitely. Michael Winter is definitely rolling over his grave when he thinks about There's this. There's a lot movie. of nudity in this one. <laughs> um, but the guy who does it, uh, I kept seeing his face. I was just like, um, man, I fucking know this guy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I know this guy's face. And he was like in drag when he did that thing. But he was the the guy, the disfigured guy in two movies, Dis- disfigured guy in Land of the Dead. <laughs> disfigured guy one. Yeah. And, and <laughs> he was a disfigured guy in uh, the remake of The Hills Have Eyes, you know, hey, which were you know which, your, your bread is buttered. You go with it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, anyway, this movie is ridiculous. But I will say that uh, putting um, poison on cannolis and killing a mobster is one of the <laughs> one of the greatest moves that you could ever uh, definitely make in a movie. It's it's a statement. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I get it. I get and it. Did this go to the theaters? Because it, it was a plot. I mean, I think it, the gross was one point seven mil. And after they spent, I just told you Bronson seller or whatever, but like, was this theatrical? Did this straight to DVD? What was the, yeah, it played, it had a small theatrical release. I mean, mm. clearly did not, did not do very well. And, um, the video release, they, they really pushed the video hard. So it probably made them a little more money right. on video than it did, but yeah, I, you gotta, you gotta think that, <laughs> that maybe the, the gap in the movies it i think audiences were tr- starting to catch up with how ridiculous the the franchise had <laughs> right. had had become because it was a seven year gap between four and five which is almost the same gap there was between one and two mm-hmm. so tastes definitely definitely changed i think yeah things moved on like by that time reservoir dogs was out certain mm-hmm. things where it's like oh, okay like we, we you've moved on the whole action, you know, guy, the whole thing, like we, the, the, like Terminator Two, Terminator they get Two, starting to the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the does that that action frenzy of the eighties was had curtailed, you know what I mean, and sizzled a little bit. No, but yeah. you, you do get like Terminator Two, which was like at that point the well, greatest yes. action movie ever. You know, so like, yeah, like sometimes like I would imagine a low budget action, maybe. Yeah, 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 I mean. for sure. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that, that that's a great documentary. The last action, the search for the last action hero. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so see, yeah. they shouldn't have killed all Bronson's family members. He should have had like one kid mm-hmm. survive and you could have spun it part four. The kid takes the handle. You know what I mean? Well, there was. And, so, uh, yeah, there was. There was. Or he something. passes. He passes that humongous fucking gun to him or something. It's like a birthday present. <laughs> there, there was. Right. Wasn't there talk of, of, of a sixth movie without him? Well, yeah. Yeah. They had they had considered it. Um, things fell apart for Galan being able to get things done after that. But yeah, was, was Aaron to... Norris a part of it? Is that is that true? It wouldn't have surprised me at all. I, I don't remember offhand, but that seems I'm very. <laughs> so the so the thing is, so four had actually had two different endings before the one we got to the classic, you know, short range rocket launcher explosion of John P. Ryan that we all know and love. The, the, <laughs> the first the first ending of four played more into the tortured Paul Kersey kind of like. Uh, kind of dealing with the weight of him having to having murdered like well over a hundred people uh, over the course of the last few movies, the, the first ending to four involved the, the, in both of those endings, his love interest survives, but it's them on a park bench and her just like dumping him because she's like, I know you're this like guy who's like this mass murderer. <laughs> like I can't, I can't be with you. And then him just sort of like realizing that he like, Yes, that everyone he knows and loves and ba- ba- like basically gets killed and being like, I can only be alone. Like, it, it, it's a really downer note, but it makes it it makes a lot of sense. It, like story wise, if you were to think of like what, what would happen to Paul Kersey if he's just been manipulated to like keep killing people over and over again. The other ending, though, the one that applies more to this is she survives yet again. She watches uh, him him kill off uh John Paul Ryan's character and 
he's get he's get um heading to the airport and she turns to him she's like why don't i come visit you sometime i can uh maybe we can go hunting together and he's like after you know what i am after everything i've done and oh. she's like somebody uh somebody needs to clean up the streets some line like that <laughs> and but it implies that she will become his sidekick <laughs> and uh, that they'll work together as i, I like the curzy i love like, it sold so right? the ending the ending though is like he's like has to think about it and so he's going and getting on the plane he turns around in the tunnel and looks at her and he does the little smile and finger gun that he does from the first movie mm-hmm. and it would have ended on that and that would have been a very cool ending if you were going to uh, wrap the series that. with a fourth like that would have been amazing yeah <laughs> sure the final it- chapter like the and, one woman who like survives a uh, survives him uh, knowing him becomes his sidekick. <laughs> I love it. Well, then span obviously not a canon film, but here years later, 2018, we get the the remake mm-hmm. they, where they bring back with Bruce Willis, and which I thought was awful the first time. So I was excited with Eli. Well, I was apprehensive, and then Eli Roth attached to it. I'm interested in this and that. I remember not liking, mm-hmm. it, and then I rewatched it for the purpose of this uh, episode. And, it was a better than I remembered it. And then, mm-hmm. of course, too, the, you know uh, what Bruce Willis was going through and stuff like that. So you kind of forgive the performance there mm-hmm. on the second watch. But uh, overall, still not great, though. And that's another one that I think the 8 million people were attached to at some point. Michael Keaton and Brad Pitt and Quay, you name it, Mel Gibson, everyone is going to be in this flick. But mm-hmm. well, what did you think about the remake? Again, it's been now a while since I've I've seen it. I just... It was very okay. Yeah. I, I, I didn't hate it, but I also didn't sort of, it didn't justify why, why they had to make it. Yeah. And a really I mean, weird time to release it in society because yeah. 2018 was a powder keg of violence. And it was, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it had a lot against it before it even came out the box. But, but, I, but I think also like when you attach a name and I get it because you need a box office, but when you put Bruce Willis in it, it just like it's almost like his name is bigger than Death Wish. So it just becomes mm-hmm. something different. Like you're like, oh, this is like a Bruce Willis movie. It's not like like if they just pick some or like rando ass actor or like a, you know, I don't know, just anyone like a, almost like a nameless person kind of to do it. Like, I feel like it would have would have been better. But I, I get for business reasons, you're probably like, oh, all right, I'm going to make this, you know, like Bronson was Bronson was just some guy. It's like, OK, he's kind of famous, you know. Like, like you said, Rick Dalton, they should have gotten like, I don't know who's <laughs> who's big in Japan right now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like uh, and but yeah, I didn't really care much for it, but I, I didn't really hate on it. But um, hey, listen, we, we just walked through the life and times of Paul Kersey, um, <laughs> America's favorite vigilante. Um, you know, I, I think there's something perverse about the thought of it because you. If you've ever, you know, been mugged or, or like just I don't know, just there's something to that, like, you know, the American psyche where it's like someone wrongs you, you like uh, you feel like you want to like, you know, if someone like hits you, you want to hit them back. So I think that's why I like these movies. Well, at least for the first one in particular, every whatever it evolved into is completely different. Uh, really connected where it's like, hey, man, it's like, you know, you can't push this guy around. Otherwise, it's going to snap. That's why movies like would like falling down or like uh, other movies in that vein um, really connect with people because it's like 
you're it just gives you this like you know superhuman or hero type thing empowerment yeah Mm -hmm. where it's like hey fuck you it's like you can't have my car you know fuck you creep fuck you (laughs) fuck you gavin o'hurley your reverse mohawk i mean with what world would that guy be leading the gang and i gotta shout out though the the diversity of the gang is something to be applauded i I mean we have uh black people uh everyone latinos white guys Mm -hmm. like it's it's, you know i think we need to look at that the positive (laughs) part Yeah, they work together very well, you know, where normally like, you know, gangs like that and affiliations wouldn't work together. Uh, You know, Alex Winter and the Giggler later on went on to be in Full Metal Jacket. So so shout out to him. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I read something uh, uh, that he was late a few times to the set. Michael Winter uh, gave him what actually recommended him to Kubrick, if that's true or something like that, or gave him a recommendation, basically, like endorsement to get that be in that film. That's what I read myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, listen, uh, so the Canon Film Guide, Volume 2, uh, anything else you want to say about it? Uh, no, you guys see I'm going to cover it right up right up top. Um, it's out now? It is out. It is out, uh, released last May, and the Kindle version just just hit at the end of July, which is pretty pretty fun. So it gives gives people a cheap option, a very inexpensive option if they, if they want it digitally. So, yeah, yeah, check it out. And if you have any interest in anyone, uh, canon movies, 80s B movies, action movies, I post a lot of stuff on Twitter and Facebook that obviously there's only so much room. These books are about 1,700 pages combined, the first two, that there's still still not room for. So Only, only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll post all your links for sure and then oh, yeah, thank yeah, you th- and thanks for coming on and hopefully when you put out your 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 book chronicling the f- you know the final days of canon we could have you back in and now for that next time period what would you recommend what's your what's what's the glory days of the next book you're gonna put we just talked about so, these glory <laughs> films what do you what would you recommend yeah, so these the, the, so 85 to 87 is canon's glory days the the last book covers really the the dark <laughs> dark period again <laughs> the direct to video era and right. outside of a few highlights obviously sure. the the discovery of Jean-Claude Van Damme with Bloodsport oh. being mm. probably the biggest thing you also get yeah, Cyborg yeah. in there and some there are some good movies in there but there's also a lot of kind of direct to video cheap they did not have they suddenly did not have money to make the big movies that they were making a few years earlier so it just shrunk down and in size and scale of what they could do but something i'm excited about something this book will have that i think a lot of people get a kick out of is a section on all of the movies that canon released uh, or advertised but never made or released so they're they were big on just announcing making a fake poster for something and taking it to cans to see if they could (laughs) sell it to people and a lot of times they didn't so you have you know, a dozen Charles Bronson movies that just happen to be the ideas that sold a little less than the movies they did make. Is it true? That's that gotta he, be amazing. Is it true I'm that excited. he's going to play Spider-Man? <laughs> Bronson? No, <All> right. <laughs> he, he would have made a great, he would have made a great Peter Parker though. I could see him swinging around and totally. dropping those little wisecracks and stuff. Yeah. That Definitely smile of his refusing to wear that mask. <laughs> yeah. This mask is stupid. I'm not, yeah. I'm not wearing that. Mess up what my kind hair. Of, what kind of costume is this? He would have yeah. had just a leather jacket with yeah. like a Spider-Man <laughs> button on it. And that would have been his Spider-Man uniform. 
who are you? I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> like that's it, just in his regular clothes. <laughs> yeah. And but, so no but, way I'm wearing that costume. Listen, uh, you're you're the man. Thank you for hey, thanks for having me. You're you're one of us. Um, yep. and you're yeah, a- anytime, you know, like when when the, when the next book comes out and we'll put the links up, your Facebook page is great. I mean, even like yesterday, I shared one of your like it's like that 1987 clippings of like the movies. You know, it was like uh, back to the back to the beach, like you know, what I mean, like it's just like it's such a simple picture, but it 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 re- rewinds your brain enough to like where you know, like you snort a line of happiness off of it, and you're like, oh, I remember 1987. This is great, you know, and then you kind of keep it moving. So you you do a lot of cool stuff. So thank you again for doing it. Oh, thank yeah, you, man. thank you Thanks. so much. All right, I really appreciate it. Later, yeah, guys. Man, thank you. Right. Have a good Bye. day, guys.